0: Love talk Radio. Hello, this is Dr. Carol Francis from the South Bay Area of Los Angeles. Hello to everyone listening. We have one of those very difficult subjects to talk about, not like some of the other fun subjects we have been dealing with earlier in this week. But it is an important topic because it involves the children of our, our entire country. So many of our children, I would say well over 50%, are now exposed to divorced families, And in most of those families, hopefully, there's some kindness between the parents as the children are put first. However, when I say most, I'm not completely sure of that statistic. But we do have someone here that has a great deal of experience and a great deal of compassion for those students, those children, and even for the difficulties of the parents. And her name is Dr. Corrine Hickson. Hello, Dr. Hickson, how are you? Great, thank you for having me. Tell us just a little bit about yourself in terms of introducing your background and experience and location.
1: Sure. Uh, I'm a clinical psychologist, and I operate in Torrance in the South Bay area. And my background really consists around working with children and adolescents. So the majority of my practice is is focusing on their needs. And I do a lot of different things, but one of the components has been doing child custody evaluations uh, for the courts as well as representing children's needs through
0: a lot of different areas. It's probably one of the most stressful aspects of being a clinical psychologist. In fact, interestingly enough, in the legal field, the statistics say that lawyers in the family court system tend to have the greatest burnout and the least satisfaction in their profession than any other attorneys. How does that add up with psychologists, Corrine? Well, absolutely. I think
1: it's very difficult because by the time people get to a an evaluation, it means really they've gone through a lot of different areas where parents couldn't work together and mediators couldn't help them resolve their issues, and arbitration may or may not have been too successful. And so, therefore, by the time families get to us, it means they really can't agree themselves on what the best interest of their child would be. So it's then left in our hands to try to help the courts determine um, what
0: those best interests would be. So let me put a little sad story on this while you're thinking about um, how your particular approach seems to be as careful as any professional can be to this very, very difficult situation. I have worked as a psychotherapist with children and with parents who have survived child custody, have survived child uh, custody issues and evaluations, and have survived divorce. But I use the word survival cautiously because they are so very damaged by the entire process. And one of my concerns is that there are evaluators out there who are partisan to either the father or the mother, or they do not do much significant research, or they actually misquote or misalign. And I say this from primary and secondary exposure over and over and over again, where I in fact have been misquoted in evaluations have contributed information, or I have worked with the family for a year or two prior to the evaluation and know the dynamics to be very, very different than what the evaluator comes up with. And that the evaluation is accepted by the court because they're seeking knowledge from the evaluators so that they cannot collect themselves. So the judge is hoping the evaluator represents truth. And yet in my experience is that often these evaluators that have caused the greatest damage to the clients that I've worked with are careless or inaccurate or they're partisan. And Dr. Hickson, this is one reason why I was so wanting to have you on the program is because in knowing you for the many years I've known you, I think I've known you for, I'm going to say, 10 years, I have always been so impressed by your ethics, your carefulness, and your compassion so that you know that any action you take as a psychologist is going to have a very real impact on someone's well-being. And so that's why on this very ugly topic, I wanted you to be a representative of people who do excellent child custody evaluations. So here you are, and welcome. Thank and in light of that, can, can you please talk about your model and why it addresses those very issues?
1: Absolutely. I mean, obviously the role as an evaluator is to provide Services to the court almost as acting for the eyes of the judge, really evaluating more than they are capable of of being able to see within a courtroom. And it means we have to do our best to be very objective. And as evaluators, we're all human beings. We all have our biases. We all have our tendencies to to see things through the lens in which we've developed throughout our childhood and adult life. And so what we've tried to do, um, which is actually very rare in the realm of child custody, is We always have three evaluators on our team. And in that evaluation process, we take different roles. So we have one who really um, specializes in the expertise of evaluating the parents. And so when she does objective testing, she gathers her data and enters it. My role has always been working with the children. So I have the luxury of getting to observe the children and interview the children and assess the children through um, some specialized measures. There have been a few that have been developed to try to help specifically in custody evaluations. And then we have another one that really serves almost more of the business coordinator who facilitates and orchestrates the interviews where we're gathering data. And the three of us sit in these interviews. And so when we put the report together, we can really make sure that the three of us collectively can come to agreement on what we feel would be in the best interest of the child and also in the best interest of the family. And so if any of those biases start to play into the evaluation, we can all almost keep each other in check, if you will. And some people look at us and they say, well, what happens if you get pulled into court or if somebody disagrees with your findings, as they often do? Our response is they pull all three of us in. So we are all there to represent the, the needs and, and hopefully, again, the best interest of the child. So it's a really unique way that we've been able to try to be a bit more objective and also to try to be much more comprehensive and eliminate, again, some of those biases that can play into an evaluation
0: process. Well, just as a sideline, I bet that is a very interesting dynamic in the courtroom. Is that true? Can you give um, us kind of a story or a scenario of what that's like?
1: Absolutely. It's, it's amazing to, to hear the confusion in attorneys' voices when we <laughs> respond to them that when they have something to say, they're going to have to say it to all three of us. Ugh. And although um, I think it takes a lot more coordination and uh, certainly making all of the schedules work together, sometimes the evaluation process may take a little bit longer. When we're talking about the lives of these children, um, I'd much rather assert that time that we need and really make sure that we're being as thorough as possible. Um, knowing that these families, again, have not been able to agree for themselves what's in the best interest of their child and maybe put aside some of their own um, disagreements, their own personal biases or hatreds, in, in essence, towards the other parent, um, we really feel uh, that this can help us to, to be more certain or as certain as we can be that we can really objectively
0: assess the situation and the needs of the family. Um, can you describe a little bit about the instrumentation that you use? I'm, one of the I'm going to be putting on for the listeners, I actually have it already listed on the site, uh, your book and the article inside your book, and 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 a, a, you have such pithy statements all throughout that on one part you say the evaluator must use his or her fund of knowledge in combination with research-based instrumentation in order to quantify and qualify assessment data so that sound recommendations can be formulated. And so you keep using the word thorough because of course you're trying to be conscientious. How does the assessment help thoroughness and? Uh, either verify or not verify an instinct or a point of view that one of the three of you might have. Absolutely. Um,
1: I think probably one of the most difficult meetings for us is the first meeting in which we really try to fit both parents into the room at the same time, and if you can only imagine their oh, feelings dear. as they walk in and they see <laughs> three evaluators, uh, I think we, you know, our goal is to try to make them feel comfortable in that in that meeting so that they can open up and discuss some of their concerns. But really, our goal is to first get them into the meeting so that we can really go over how the process works, how the fact that in this particular situation there is no confidentiality for this family and everything that they tell us will be used in court and, and will be used with the attorneys, and so we have this, this dilemma that we have to try to help these families get through, and that is the fact that many parents will want to put their best foot forward. Many parents are not going to want to tell us their whole truth. Um, and sometimes parents really have the tendency to fake good. So one of our roles is to really try to sift through that and, and try to get a realistic picture of what the child may be facing in that home with each particular parent. So the interview is the first process, and then from that point on, Um, We have individual interviews with each parent, and we try to encourage the parent not to just focus on the pathology of the other parent, but more importantly, we're looking for strengths in the parent. So as psychologists, we're constantly trained to understand pathology and treat pathology, but as evaluators, we have really different roles, and that is to try to find out what the strengths are as well as the weaknesses are with each parent. Um, we try to be objective. so if we have a meeting with one parent, we always try to offer the same amount of time to the other parents. So we really make sure that they don't feel that one has had more time to express their needs than the other. Uh, another huge part of, of the process is getting collaborative data. So the parents can give us list of resources in which they want us to speak to. Those can be psychologists that have maybe worked with the family or the children. Potentially they can be family members, although we certainly have to be conscientious that biases can play into the roles that family members serve in an evaluation. Um, We may talk to school administrators. Teachers are often good sources of information. So we try to gather as much background information as we potentially can to get an outside perspective of, of how this child has existed in the world with each of their parents. And then there are a lot of objective test measures that we use, and one of the important things to know about these test member measures is many of them are not normed for child custody evaluations. Um, mm-hmm. There are a few that are normed for child custody or are in the process of being normed, um, but we always have to take into consideration that when people come into this office, they're going to be more anxious. They are getting evaluated. Their child or their custody with their child uh, can be at risk. And so they have the tendency to want to sometimes, as I said earlier, fake good, maybe put their best foot forward and not always be so honest. So there are certain inventories like the MMPI where it actually has uh, reliability and validity skills built into that so we can have a better perception if this person is, is being truly honest and trying to present of their real personality in the session. Um, there are multiple measures, and I don't know if you want me to get into those specifically, um, but there are multiple measures that are designed to look at the psychological fitness of the parents. Um, some of those are actually objective uh, instruments and some of those are subjective instruments where the parents Mm. really don't quite know what we're looking at but Mm. we can garnish data from those measures you you may have heard out there things like the Rorschach Um, oftentimes you you see them used in movies but they are real and they are really uh, efficient in gathering data and then there are a lot of rating scales that are developed for child custody where we can get a lot of background information that's important, in addition to some wonderful measures uh, that are devised for children, and it's a nice way to garnish information from them
0: as well. Hmm. Uh, you, you uh, <laughs> There's so many things to, to pick up on what you're saying. and In the attempt to be able to use this, what you call standardized multi-method methodology, is that correct? Is that one exactly. of your phrases? Because uh-huh. you say that often in here. It is the hope that these pervasive ways, these compounded ways of looking at all different angles are going to give you enough of a consistent picture to kind of know which parent is going to be the most effective or the least effective or if they're both going to be effective. Is that correct? Right. I, I mean, we are. sometimes we go into the home, sometimes we get to observe, but again, we're getting a snapshot
1: of a child's life, and, and we attempt to do the very best that we can Um, to to do a thorough assessment. Um, Obviously, parents are experts of their own kids, and it would always have been our preference that the parents could have best put their kids' needs first and and represented them and decided what was best for them. Um, But when people come to us, it really means that parents aren't able to do that, and the court is now needing our assistance to try to provide the most information that we can.
0: One of the things I've seen in the 30 years that I've been in practice is a real change in the way the courts actually seem to award, not an awful phrase to say, but award child custody. And um, the other thing I dislike about this whole is that it's timeshare, is that the child is a commodity to be shared. But that's something that I have seen in the courts increase, 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 especially in California, where It appears that the court is more concerned about the parental right to have a timeshare, to have the 50-50 split, which is the default now, um, as opposed to going to the more laborious task of really figuring out where that child is taking care of the healthiest, not abused, not only the attachment but also where the attachment's going to be taken into consideration so that in talking to other evaluators in reading materials from the book, both that you've loaned me to read, and outside, where the discussion is more about reunification, uh, alienation, estrangement, and uh, everything related to that, but not about the child's best interest. In your article, however, over and over again, the phrase, the child's best interest, the child's best interest, if that's your mantra that keeps your sights on target, and yet I'm not really seeing the courts keeping that on target. And I can give you a plethora of examples, and I'll actually be doing that in another radio p- program. Uh, can you talk about that, the the court's movement toward the parents' rights to be parents right. versus the child's disinterest? I, I think the court has a very difficult role.
1: Um, and as evaluators, we have a very difficult role. Because what happens is, again, when people come to us, they are not, the parents are no longer working together on behalf of their child. They're really working against each other, or they really believe that only they can provide what their child needs. And so there are a lot of things that happen. There are a lot of allegations that happen. There are some that are true. There are some that are not true. So the role of the evaluator and the, the court is to really sift through um, what, in essence, is happening in this child's life. And before we used to talk about it being the attachment between the child and the parent, you know, how the child is connected or what the child does in terms of needing the parent for security, but we've learned that it's so much more than just attachment. And it's, it's been coined reciprocal connectedness, but basically it's a child's um, need with a parent to learn human interactions and it's a need to help them develop cognitively, socially, and emotionally. So it's really about that inner relatedness between the parent and the child. And there's so many components in the assessment that play into that. Um, so it's the verbal communication. It's the nonverbal communication. It's the modeling. It's the empathy. It's the recognizing the needs of the child. It's, it's understanding things such as autonomy. Um, it's trying to see things through a child's vantage point. And The evaluation process really differs based on the age of the child um, because Mm -hmm. when children are young, um, they can input so much, and when children are older, I think the judges really uh, want to look and understand what they are saying and what they are experiencing. And for that reason, I think many custody evaluations are in and out of court. Um, Throughout the years, you will see the same families again and again and again. And that's why I think the court has tried to help the situation by implementing either mediators or sometimes they're coined special masters to really serve as almost a a place for parents to go when they are not feeling satisfied or when they recognize that the needs of their child are changing or that their children are changing, excuse me, they can come into the special master and that person can help them um, to try to refine and redefine the evaluation um, maybe that was done years previously.
0: Well, it, it isn't. Even as while well you're speaking, that whole the idea that the relationship has to be reciprocal between each parent, that the difficulty of that parent to relate to is not really a rationale for making the child avoid that particular difficult parent. Absolutely. It, it, this is a philosophy I think that parents that are listening that are considering doing a child custody really need to understand that the in California the child custody arrangement the, the underlying principle is maximize the time of each child with each parent, regardless of the complications that are present, But that's a premise now, whereas before that was not the premise. Is that correct? Absolutely. Now, in the process of that, then we have these difficult situations, which are the ones that come to my office, perhaps yours, where the child has been abused there is an abusive parent. And the difficulties that I have seen along those lines is that the court is insensitive to the impact of abusiveness because they're dedicated to this reciprocal relationship between the parents and the child. And I have seen children harmed over and over by a parent and have no recourse in being able to escape. Now, in the past, when someone was abusive, our society was insensitive. It must be the abused child's fault or the abused spouse's fault. And it wasn't unlike when a woman was raped and people looking at the woman and saying, what did you do to provoke that? You must have been sexually provocative. Then we moved into an era where we really wanted to protect those people who were being abused. So perhaps we went over to the extreme of listening to the abused individuals and estranging them from the abuser as a way of protecting The shift that seems to be occurring now is that the court can hear that there's abuse and almost is indifferent to the presence of any of the sorts of abuse except for perhaps sexual abuse. And even then, I'm seeing courts insist that the time with the parent occur and that the child be forced to be with that parent. Okay, that's a long introduction to the complexities of When do we draw the line where abuse occurs to not necessarily jeopardize the well-being of the child just because the parent has a timeshare right? Right. I I think one of the the difficult
1: components about being an evaluator is I'm also a mother, and and I Uh know what I would tolerate for my children and what I would not. And being an evaluator, part of that is understanding what the court would or would not tolerate. So there are a lot of families that come in Um, when in these cases I'm not the evaluator but I'm the therapist and they will say, yes, but my spouse does such and such and my spouse does such and such. And I say to them, I know that that's such a difficult situation and in the back of my mind I'm thinking, but I don't know that it's bad enough that 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 other parent would, let's say, lose custody or not be able to see their child. So unfortunately I do agree with you that um, it has to be really, really, really bad before a parent loses custody rights, and I think the goal of the courts, and I think they are trying to work on behalf of the best interest of the child, is that they do whatever they can to try to reunify a child with their parent. And my role um, is oftentimes encouraging families to, to work to get someone like a minor's counsel, someone who doesn't represent the mother or the father, but someone from the system that represents the child. And I notice a really big difference when I'm operating in the role of the therapist when a minor's counsel is on board. It really seems that that person is working in the court systems to go to bat for the best needs of the child. And that seems to be the most successful route that I have found in really making their needs paramount with regards to the divorce situation.
0: Well, that's interesting. You find the minor's counsel assisting. You know, I've worked with many minor's counsel, and I'll be interviewing a minor's counsel in a couple of weeks. So... Uh, it will be interesting to see her take on this as well. I've worked with minors counsel that have been um, very insensitive to the child, and I've worked with minors' counsels that were very sensitive to the child. Yes. Here again is uh, where I like your model. Your model and you as a human being are very dedicated to trying to be extremely ethical, professional, and conscientious about the child's well being. What do parents do though when they're in a situation, legally, the court situation, court evaluation? where they genuinely do not believe that the welfare of the child is being considered. Um, Do you have any thoughts about that? You're a mom, if you were in a situation where it's your Ooh. child. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> right. Wait, what, I, I,
1: what I, I believe is, is that's where a role that I play very often is the role of the psychologist where families will then come in to me. This is a different hat that I wear um, yes. where they come in, and as a therapist I can really try to help the child to assert their needs. I can try to continuously work. Um, to get the parents to understand their needs and oftentimes will represent their needs, not serve as an evaluator, but represent their needs to the evaluators or the special masters or the minors council. And I think a, a therapist is someone that the parents can seek out. They can interview multiple therapists, and like anything else, they need to be confident in whom they choose to work with their child, but really someone who can help, again, represent the needs of the child. So sometimes that person is appointed through the court, but oftentimes that person is chosen by the parents.
0: So in other words, hopefully the impact a parent can have in a child's life is returned back to the parent after the court situation has calmed down. That's hopeful. Is that
1: correct? That is what's always hopeful, Absolutely. The hope is that that they can, again, work together before even coming to an evaluation process, and that's why in in most jurisdictions, things such as mediation, um, mediation is very different than an evaluation. Mediation is where there's a professional who sits down with the parents and tries to help them agree having that control, maintaining that control the parents of the child, have them agree on what would be in the best interest for their own child. And many times, many of the components of child custody can be mediated. Sometimes there's only a small, left, a small amount of things that are left over um, that the parents can't agree on, and then only those particular things have to be stipulated in court.
0: Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Here's another quote from your article. It says, Due to the high divorce rate, children will most likely continue to face the unpleasant and damaging consequences of parental disharmony and strife. Children's experiences during a custody battle render them as significant risk for adjustment problems and developmental difficulties. From the perspective of the child, post-divorce conflict and custody litigation are injurious and unwanted." Wow. I want to post that everywhere that it can be seen so parents can really think about what they're doing when they're fighting over child custody. Um, I, I,
1: what, I, I think one of the most difficult thing that I see with children, it's not the divorce per se that causes them to experience all the conflict and the consequences. It's the ongoing conflict that exists between the parents after the divorce happens. So not only do these kids lose their sense of, Stability within having one home, but they lose their sense of trust. Um, they lose their ability to, to feel that it's okay to love both parents. And we describe it in our book. Uh, there was an author named Simpson who said the encephalial double blind is that it's wrong to love both parents, yet it is equally wrong not to. Um, I would say that's a, a huge uh, component that I see in these young children where they feel lonely and they feel confused and they feel isolated and they're really not sure
0: if it's okay
1: to have a loving relationship with both parents.
0: Right. In growing a child in this situation as a therapist, how do you grow a child that is in that dilemma in your office? As a therapist, I really, first of all, hope to provide
1: a place for them where they can feel safe, um, where there are not loyalty issues, there are not issues of alliance, where they can really have a voice. And I think them just voicing what they're going through and trying to share that voice um, with their families is probably one of the most important components of their treatment because I cannot always change their parents. I wish I could. I could not always get them to try to work together on behalf of their best interests. But the one thing that I, that I use, my homework that I preach to parents is within a divorce situation or within a custody evaluation, you have to love your child more than you hate each other. And that's a mantra that I teach all of the families that I work with. You hmm. have to love your child more than you hate each other. And I think that is a mantra that I hear parents repeating when they again start to become less focused on their child's needs and more focused on the falling out of the marriage.
0: Mm, that's beautifully said. There's another spot that, that pertains to that in, in your article. It says, when we have emphasized that professional singles' most important objective when assessing children in custody disputes is to keep the child's interest in mind. But with contentious, polarized, and dysfunctional parenting jo- jockeying for power, this task is harder than might be imagined. So here you are in a situation where you have to remind parents to be sane in a situation where they're insane, so to speak. In another place in your article, you mentioned how you remember your parents were probably a lot more functional when they weren't having to deal with this really dysfunctional situation called divorce and child custody battle. Right.
1: And and I think that's where those outside collaborative sources become very important mm-hmm. because how they are presenting in our office during evaluation under the stress, under the anguish, under the hurt, under the grief of of losing their marriage um, and losing their their stable family. Um, I think that it is so important to try to reach out to collaborative sources to try to see who these people were uh, before the divorce came about and whether or not they were able to meet the needs of their children at that time.
0: That's beautiful. Well, you have been wonderful to interview, Dr. Hickson, and I so hope you will do this with us yet again on other topics that are near and dear to your heart. What would you like to say to the professionals and parents that are listening?
1: I just think that I want to encourage parents in particular to really believe that they have the capacity more than anyone, more than an evaluator, more than the court, more than the attorneys, to best represent what their children need. And if they really believe that that has to be their first goal. Um, I believe that you can eliminate the evaluation process and you can really eliminate being told um, how your lives are really going to go in the future. And I'd much rather leave it in the hands of the parents when at all possible. But, again, that means that they have to, once again, love their children more than they hate each other.
0: Beautifully said. Uh, Dr. Hickson, can you please tell us how to locate you? How can they contact you on the Internet, in your office, phone numbers? Sure. Uh, we
1: have a website, which is Um Also, they can reach us. Uh, the name of our company is Complete Family Services, and that phone number is 310
0: Beautiful. Thank you, Dr. Hickson. And that information also will be included on Book Energy as well as on this site. So thank you again. We hope, look forward to talking to you down the road. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. Okay,
1: wonderful. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.